We are um, going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. You can open up to Isaiah, chapter 9. The theme for this year, this Christmas, is He Shall Reign Forever. And have you noticed that everyone is really excited about Christmas this year? How many of you think there's more Christmas lights and decorations on your street this year than any year before? Have you noticed? How many of you put up your Christmas decorations earlier this year than you usually do, <laughs> right? People are so excited about Christmas. They, they say that nationally, nationwide, there's a Christmas decoration shortage in the stores because sales are up so high. There's also a real Christmas tree shortage because the sales are so high. Everyone is excited about Christmas, but nobody in our area decorates like the Kowalczyks. Now, have you visited Winter Wonderland down in Tinley on Avon? How many of you visited? Here's a picture. How many of you have visited this house down in Tinley? Uh, they set it up every year, and uh, they actually own the three houses in a row, so they can set all three of them up. Check out the video of this family explaining what they do each Christmas. I'm Dominic. And I'm Melissa. And, and we're, we're the Kowalczyks. So to set this whole display up, it probably takes us at least two to three weeks. We're working eight, 10, 12 hours a week, sometimes till two in the morning. Uh, there's just so many of us out here, it's amazing. Up, people start to trickle in throughout the morning and by two, three o'clock there's money more helpers and everybody gets assigned a task and next thing you know by the end of the day it looks amazing. This is absolutely amazing. There were 75 people that had come out here to help us this season. So this couldn't be done without our friends, family, and neighbors. So uh, to step forward, taking these guys out of their boxes. These are all the boxes of those houses. And then all these things that they make are hand-painted and little, and everything is so fragile. So this year we've started to upgrade more of our lighting. We now have five concert lights on the top of our roof, shining in every direction. They look amazing. This year has been extra special. There's been so many people that have been down in the dumps with everything that's been going on in 2020, and the uh, outpouring of support the last couple weeks has been amazing. Last year they set up 150,000 lights. And before LED technology came around, they were paying $1,600 a month for the electric bill. Wow, they're really excited about Christmas. I mean, when it comes to setting up for Christmas, they're like award-winning, am I right? God was so excited about Christmas that he started setting up for Christmas in 700 BC. And the way he did it was, he started giving the prophets sneak peeks of what Christmas would be about. And we're going to learn from the prophet Isaiah 
today how he got a Christmas preview, how he got a prophecy that looked ahead to the birth of Jesus Christ. And we will see that Isaiah was among the first to talk about the blessings that the Messiah would bring into the world. This is one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament and one of the most famous Christmas passages as well. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for all that it means and for everything that you brought down into this world. Help us through your word to understand who you are and what you came to bring us. Show us your glory through the incarnation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, we are, usually I have my bookmark there, but I apparently didn't put it there this morning. So here we are, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 1. And we're actually going to start a few verses uh, before that. Um, we're going to look at verse 21, 22 of chapter 8. Here's what it says. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here it comes. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So you probably know part of this passage, but you probably don't know the rest of this passage. So we're going to break it down together. The first thing, there's only two points today, all right? First thing you can write down is this. We need light, joy, and peace from heaven. There are things we need that we can't find on Amazon. You can't find on Target.com. Walmart will never carry these things in stock. Doesn't matter how many times you ask at customer service. They are light, joy, and peace from heaven. And the text here tells us that these are all going to be found ultimately in a child who was born. Look back at verse uh, 21 of chapter 8. It says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. They will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now, what does this mean? Well, it's about 700 BC, and Isaiah is talking about Israel. Israel is at war with its God. They're also at war with surrounding nations. When they reach out for help, they're not reaching out to God. They're reaching out for foreign alliances to try and help them. They've lost their faith. They're angry with God. They're plunged into darkness. 
A big part of their problem is the king is wicked, and so their uh, rulers are crooked, and they're very upset about it. So talking about a new government, a new prince who will arrive to Israel was a sign of hope. But this child was described with, with beyond descriptions to, to show us that this isn't just describing a problem in Israel, it's describing a problem in humanity. In Israel, we see the human problem. There is darkness. We need what the child will bring. There's darkness. There's no dawn. There's no hope. Spiritually, this is what God sees from heaven. He sees the world plunged into darkness, angry with him, at war with each other. We're in darkness. That is a spiritual commentary on the state of our hearts. They're hopeless, and we are bound up in a dark, bitter rivalry against our God from the moment we're born. We need light. Here's a picture of some more Christmas houses that are out there. Light is such a big part of Christmas. We want to light up the darkness. Here's another picture. Uh, we want people to see the light of Christmas. And here's another picture. We want people to look around and to see just how glorious Christmas is. We want to turn the lights on. You can write this down. We need light to dispel my darkness. Light to dispel my darkness. It says in verse 2, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. It talks in the beginning of chapter 9 about some geography. It says there will be no gloom for her who walks in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the, in the northern cities, uh, when there was an invasion, these cities kind of fell first. And so the gloom, the, the disgrace that they faced uh, was, was, was really bad. And so they would later, in a later time, be honored. And it said, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So what does that actually mean? Well, this looks ahead as a prophecy to Jesus. And for 30 years, Jesus would dwell in Nazareth, uh, in Zebulun, in northern Israel, Galilee, in other words, the light of Christ would first stream forth in this region. The presence of Christ, the light of the world, would redeem the darkness that had fallen upon the land in Isaiah's time. So light to dispel the darkness. The darkness versus light dichotomy runs throughout the Bible. <laughs> Early in the Bible, what was one of the first things God said? The first thing he said is, let there be light, right? So light shows us God's nature. God is only light with no darkness at all. It defines his holy goodness and moral separation from evil. We'll put 1 John 1, 5 up on the screen. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We need light. God alone is light. And therefore, we need God to send us light into our darkness. Light also describes the miracle of Christmas, the incarnation. Check out uh, some verses from John 1. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is called the true light, and it says he came down from heaven. He is the divine light bearer. Light also describes the moment of salvation, what needs to happen inside of each one of us to save us. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 
For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 13-14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Light also describes our new status as redeemed children of God. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Hey, I've got a question for you. Have you received the gift of light from heaven that is only found in Jesus Christ. If you have him, you have heaven's light. If you don't have him, you are still plunged into darkness. You can't see God. You can't know God. The lights are off. But when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the lights turn on. You were blind but now you see. This was all talked about 700 years before Christmas. Light to dispel my darkness. Then it goes on to say this, verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Jot this down. Joy to replace my anguish. Jesus brought light to dispel my darkness. Jesus brought joy to replace my anguish. People want joy. They want joy. They want joy this year, and they want a joy 700 BC. It says here, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. And then there's two examples here. As with joy at the harvest. So good crop, lots of food. Okay, there wasn't Costco back then. All right, you couldn't, you couldn't go to the store and get food. You had to grow it. And if there was a bad harvest, nobody ate. So when a big harvest came in, everybody was happy. We're going to eat food, 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 food. As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now this means when there's victory in battle. So there go, there go all the young men off to battle. Everyone's nervous. Are they going to win? Are they going to win? Are they going to win? Then they come back victorious, and they've got gifts because they plunder the enemy. So this idea of a parade of victorious soldiers marching back into the city filled with the, with the treasures of war, that cre- that, it's that kind of uproar. It's that kind of joy. We won! We won! We won! Joy to replace my anguish. You can see when someone is joyful and you can see when someone is joyless, right? Jumping for joy. I'm going to show you a video of a little Christmas uh, program here with some kids. I want you to locate the kid who's most excited about Christmas. Might take you a while. Okay, but go ahead and put that video up there. Just look. Keep looking if you didn't find her yet. Now, I'm not saying use those moves, all right? You might get some looks. You can see when someone's joyful. You can see when someone's joyless, right? There's another, there's another video I found of somebody recently who's joyful. He was just out doing his job. He's an Amazon delivery guy. But somebody thought, you know what? These folks are working hard. I'm going to leave the delivery folks some, some treats uh, out on the porch. And check out what happens when this guy finds his treats. Oh, this is nice. Oh, they got some goodies. 
Wow. Oh, this is sweet. Oh, wow. Get out of here. This is sweet. Oh, this is so nice. Did you see his joy? Did you see it? <laughs> now look, here we are. We come up to the basket. We look in the manger. And what do we see? Heaven's joy. Well, this is nice. Oh, this is nice. And we shouldn't walk away like, ah, humbug. Christmas again. <laughs> What's in the basket? Heaven's joy. Heaven's joy. Hey, have you received the gift of joy from heaven found in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have him, you have joy. If you don't have him, you don't have heaven's joy. Receive the joy of heaven found in the child who was born to us. You have increased its joy. Do you want God to increase your joy? Wow. Light to dispel my darkness. Joy to replace my anguish. What are we so excited about at Christmas? Well, here's, here's a little chart that pulls from things that are in this text. Before Christmas, if we put ourselves in this passage, I was greatly distressed, living in deep darkness and the gloom of anguish. I was upset and hostile toward God. There was no dawn in sight. Because of Christmas, God made a glorious appearance. I saw a great light. Now there is no gloom because he has brought light, joy, and peace into my soul. That's the difference Christmas makes. That produces joy. Joy is the birthmark of every believer. Joy and delight. Not because the world becomes perfect. Not because your problems all go away. Because God is with you. And because he has saved you and given you his son. That's where joy is found. Have you received the gift of joy from heaven that can only be found in Jesus Christ? Light to dispel my darkness, joy to replace my anguish, and then write this down, peace to rule my heart. Peace to rule my heart. So it goes on in verse 4, to say, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. So looking back to a uh, a great victory here. The idea here is God's people were oppressed. They were under siege. They were outnumbered. They, they, were, they were going to lose. And this is a picture of conflict. This is a picture of war. And so it says, you have broken that rod. It says every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You've taken away the stains of war. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this idea of peace to rule my heart is the idea of being caught in a great tumult, a, a great battle that we can't win, and we're victims, we're oppressed because of it. And this child comes down and brings peace on the battlefield. Peace. Now, this is a promise of earthly peace as well. We'll see in a moment that this son will actually bring peace to the earth with a mighty government. But it's talking about the spiritual conflict that exists within all of our hearts between us and God and between us and others. We need peace to rule our hearts. In the New Testament, the book of Colossians, it says, let the peace of Christ rule 
in your heart. Something's getting on the throne of your heart today. Something's going to be sitting on that seat, ordering you around. Is it going to be peace? Or is it going to be lust? Or is it going to be anger? Or is it going to be envy? Something sitting in that seat, giving out the orders. And if it's the peace of Christ ruling your heart, there's going to be a calm. Peace to rule my heart. Peace to set the world right. This peace is above all spiritual. Christ was born to bring all the chaos and conflict of sin to rest as we raise the white flag of surrender and come under his heavenly authority. Have you surrendered the fight? Admitted your need for victory? Have you received peace as a gift from heaven that is only found in Jesus Christ? If you have him, you have peace with God. If you don't have him, you don't have peace. You're at war with God. But he can bring peace. Peace to rule my heart. What amazing gifts! What's in the basket? What's in the manger? Light to dispel my darkness, joy to replace my anguish, peace to rule my heart. Do you have these? Do you have, do you honestly have them? Light, joy, and peace. If you have Christ, you have them. If you don't have Christ, you can invite him to bring these things into your heart today. Number one, we need light, joy, and peace from heaven. Number two, jot this down, it's only a two-point message. Jesus was born to be our king forever. So we learned about what this child was going to bring and how messed up the world is. Now let's learn about this child himself. Jesus was born to be our king forever. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Does this, does this remind you of anything? Who, what, do you know the music behind this? Tell me where this comes from. Where does this come from? Handel's Messiah, right? So it's only, and when you see in the Bible, when you see the text changed, you see how it's like a paragraph and then suddenly the formatting is different. Uh, that means that the genre has shifted. And so some scholars say that this genre is, is kind of like a poem or a hymn. You know, it could be, could be a song or some sort of a uh, royal oracle, some sort of like an attribution to a king, like a kingly announcement. I like the thought of it being a song though. Right? Because we, we like put it to music uh, through Handel's Messiah. I, I grabbed a clip from Handel's Messiah that focuses in on this, and maybe you know it well enough to sing it. I'm going to invite you to sing along, okay, to this part. So, men, find your parts, and women, find your parts. Go ahead and play it. Here's the song. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's majestic. It's sacred, right? And I love how that honors this text. It's just not enough to just say it. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And then such great things are said about this child. The government shall be upon his shoulder. There's all these names. This is a royal child. He has government. It says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Well, that didn't happen with any of the kings that came after Ahaz in this text. Who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus Christ, the one who would be born king. That's what this prophecy is about. This is a royal child. I like that thought of a child coming to inaugurate a kingdom, to establish a kingdom, to uphold a kingdom. And today, Jesus has already inaugurated his kingdom. It's being established, and he will uphold it forever. This is a royal child. Have you watched the series The Crown on Netflix? I haven't watched it. Lauren's really into it. The Crown. We're, we're all fascinated with royal families, right? Here's a picture of uh, the, the cast from The Crown. But this, this idea that there's a royal family is intriguing to people because they want to know what the royal family is like. And Lauren tells me that the royal family is super messed up. That's what she said. There's just so much drama. Some of them don't even want to be royalty. And in Isaiah's day, the royal family was messed up. Nobody was happy with the government. So talking about this child who would set up a perfect kingdom of peace and rule forever, they're like, bring it, bring it, right? Not only that, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That hints at his divinity. God gives his son. Jesus would be called the son of God. A son would be given. Essentially, Jesus is God's only son. We do not share a divine nature with God for all eternity, but Jesus does. Therefore, he's one of a kind, like no other. A son is given, but a child is born. This divine son would be born. And there are some amazing names attributed to this child. Write this down. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. People marveled at the teachings of Christ because he claimed to have authority from heaven. Authority greater than Moses. Authority greater than Abraham. Greater than David and greater than all the prophets. Jesus would say, here's what I heard from my father. He spoke with first-hand knowledge of what the father told him. This is astonishing. Jesus was able to present the whole plan and purpose of God. In Colossians 2.3, it says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is wonderful counselor. When uh, Mike Kiowski and I visited Oxford, it's funny, I can say, I went to Oxford, but just for two days. <laughs> we were at Oxford for a conference on our way back home from Romania, we uh, went by the uh, library. Remember this, Mike? Here's a picture. We went by the library and took a little tour. They walked us around the city. And it's just the history. You can just get blown away by just... I mean, I just tried to say nothing dumb while I was in Oxford, right? <laughs> 
because there's so many smart people around there. And so we went past the library, and here's another picture of the library. And they said, not only do we have books above ground, but underground, stretching out throughout the entire city, is a copy of every book that has ever been written by man. The sum total of human knowledge. Literally, the city is built on the sum total of human knowledge. And listen, Jesus is the library of God. The sum total of heaven's knowledge is in him. He is the wonderful counselor. No one ever spoke like him. No one ever spoke like him. Jot this down. Mighty God. He's just called Mighty God. This is a title of God himself. Often people will ask, well, does the Bible really say Jesus was God? One way to prove that it does is the names applied to Jesus. See, if, if I take your name tag and put it on myself, you'd be like, give it back. You're not me. And if Jesus takes the name tags of God and puts them on, it's one way that he claims to be God. And the prophet Isaiah here calls him mighty God. The name Emmanuel is also applied in this passage and in the New Testament to Christ. It means God with us. Now, some people might say, well, a lot of people had names in the Bible that had God in them, right? Like, Jesus' name is actually technically like Joshua. So is Joshua God too? Okay. But when Jesus was in a, a conflict with the religious leaders, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because when the burning bush was talking to Moses... And Moses said, well, what's your name? What did the bush say? I am the I am. Jesus took the ultimate name tag of God and put it on himself, and they tried to kill him the moment he said it. Yes, Jesus claimed to be God. And when the names of God are applied to Christ, it shows his divine nature. And this child would be called Mighty God. Mighty God. Just how mighty was Jesus? Well, he, he displayed all the attributes of God. And the omnipotence of God, the all power of God was displayed through the miracles of Christ. He displayed power over nature. He calmed a storm. Power over demons. They did what he said. Power over disease. He could cure anything. And power over death. Lazarus, come out! Even the grave obeyed the voice of Jesus Christ. Listen, that's divine. That's power from above. He was mighty God. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Write this down. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Now, if you know your Bible, you, there should be this little warning light going, warning, heresy alert, heresy alert, because you're not supposed to call the Son the Father, right? So there's an ancient heresy called modalism, and what it teaches is that the Father is the Son, and that the Son is the Spirit. It's like one God who just keeps wearing three masks. Okay, that's a heresy. We don't believe that. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. We believe in one God who is expressed in three persons. Okay? This is called the Trinity. And so this text is not teaching that Jesus is God the Father. The word Father can be used in a different sense in the Bible. Um, and so... It says here, can be interpreted to say, Father of Eternity. And 
Father is often used of a ruler or a king in the Old Testament. A good king would be called father of the nation. Okay, so this highlights Jesus' divine nature and his capacity to be a divine ruler who rules forever. It doesn't mean that he's also God the Father. It just means that he has the title Father in an earthly sense of ruler. In John 14, 8-9, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So it's impossible to fully explain or comprehend the, the, the Trinity. But here's what it means. It means one divine being, one, exists in three persons. So even though Jesus is not the Father, when you've seen Him, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. And even though the Spirit is not the Son, when the Spirit lives in you, Christ is in you. So it's impossible to fully explain, but it's very easy to experience. You can experience the Father's love, found in the Son's incarnation, sealed by the Spirit's presence within you. You can experience that, even if you can't explain it. Jesus is called Everlasting Father in the sense of being an eternal being who's going to be a wonderful ruler and Prince of Peace. Write that down. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This word involves putting back together what has been divided or broken. So imagine, have you dropped something recently? Have you dropped like a Christmas ornament? We were unpacking the Christmas ornaments this year, and our new puppy, Cosmo, loves Christmas. He loves it so much, he wants to eat every part of it. He grabs ornaments off the tree. He just come, he found a little reindeer doll. That's his now. I mean, he loves, he drinks water out of the tree. Uh, I mean, he loves it. And so... We were getting the ornaments out. We had to hurry, and then whoosh, crash. A few ornaments broke on the ground, so we had to keep the puppy away from that, right? But when, when you break something, especially like when you break glass in the kitchen, you're like, everyone freeze! We've got to clean up on aisle two, right? Well, imagine the whole world being shattered on the ground. Someone has to come and piece it back together. Imagine the whole world being divided in conflict. Someone has to come and bring peace. So that's the idea of Jesus bringing peace to earth. It's the purpose of the Messiah. And let me ask you this. Have you faced the hard reality that your relationship with God was broken from the day you were born? A lot of people I talk to say, I've been a Christian my whole life. Do you know that's actually impossible? You can be around Christians your whole life. But there has to come a point when what all of those saints have told you makes you look into your soul and say, I'm a sinner who was broken to pieces upon the rocks of sin. I need Jesus, just like my parents needed him, just like my grandparents needed him. I need him. In Romans 5.1, it says this, Therefore, having been justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that? In Luke 2.14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you have that? In Luke 1, 31 to 33, it says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign 
over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus is the prince of peace, which means he's not just bringing you like yoga peace if you want it. He's the prince, the rightful ruler of your soul. The only one who can bring peace with God. Peace that will endure eternally. Hey, in Philippians 3.20 it says our citizenship is in heaven. Are you a card-carrying member of the kingdom of Christ? Is Jesus, if someone were to say who is Jesus, would you say wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, my prince of peace? No other answer will do. And here's what's cool. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah was talking about Christmas 700 years before it happened. It concludes by saying, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus will reign forever. Are you his loyal subject? Has he given you joy? Has he given you light? Has he given you peace? Have you raised the white flag of surrender and ended the war with God that's been raging in your heart from the day you were born? Have you admitted that you are lost, hopelessly enveloped by darkness and only Jesus can bring you light? Have you seen that the source of your restlessness and lack of joy is your lack of God? And today, are you willing to receive Jesus Christ as your prince forever? Let's respond to what we've just heard today by praying. Let's close our eyes and let's bow our, our heads. And prayer is just talking to God. You don't have to use any magic words. You can just talk to God. And right now, I wonder if this Christmas message is becoming real to you for the first time. Right now, I wonder if you're willing to admit, I'm in darkness, I need light. I'm in anguish, I need joy. I'm, I'm in conflict, I need peace. Are you willing to say it? Are you willing to tell the truth about your struggle? No more self-reliance. No more pride. No more pretending to be a good person. No more having a, a formal attachment to Jesus. This is the time where you can say, Jesus, here and now, I confess you are the one born king. Be my mighty God. Be my wonderful counselor. Be my everlasting father. Be my prince of peace. Jesus, I want you to rule my life forever. Save me, Jesus. Save me forever. This is what you were born to do. And maybe you've been saved for a while, but come upon the end of this hard year, you haven't had the joy that you once knew. Your peace is gone. It's missing. You feel like you're in darkness again. Ask Jesus. He will reign forever. He'll give you light. He'll walk you through the darkness. He'll give you joy. Doesn't matter what you're going through. He'll give you peace. It doesn't matter how your heart is raging. Get back to that manger again. Look inside. Look inside at what God gave us. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Glory to God. Amen.